I'm crying. <laughs> <laughs> the fucking score. Like, it just, I didn't feel like we were watching the movie yesterday until that score hit and I'm just I'm in the eighth grade again just right plucked that string that music it does it to me every time I I used to fall asleep to the the soundtrack so it's I think it's embedded in my brain yeah it's just part of the it's part of the genetic makeup now. it also means I fell asleep crying every night <laughs> when I was 14 slightly dramatic but we want to uh, get off that for a quick second and welcome you guys to episode six of 14 months apart I am your host Bob Barrow and I am your co-host Jack 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 <laughs> what what's my name <laughs> Jacqueline Barrow. It's Titanic, so Jack's like a little, little shook up right now. I am. I'm. This one shook me up this time. I mean, this viewing shook me up this, this time. This viewing. But thanks and welcome, guys. Uh, welcome back. If uh, this is your first time joining us, thank you for checking us out. Uh, if you're a longtime listener, first time caller, um, stop calling. There's no phone number. Like we don't know who you're talking to. But it is September, and September means one thing around Barrows. Actually, it means quite a few things. Well, it means to a me. bunch of things. Like Jack, the first day of school. What does September mean to you? Because this is month is all about fucking yeah. All right. September is one of my favorite months. Um, I think aside <laughs> from December, because I love Christmas. Uh, but it is the first day of school, which I happen to love immensely, because I'm just that person. Because you're an L7 <laughs> weenie. Hey, somebody's got to love school and have a passion for it. <laughs> Might as well be me. Might as well be the teacher. Uh, it's also um, the first, I'm saying, um, you've already told me about watching that. And I'm already going for it. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Just digging in. September is also the first day of fall, mm-hmm. my favorite season. And. And what's it's the big one? It's my birthday. Yay. <laughs> I love birthdays too. Yeah. Birthdays are a big deal for us, so we thought we would celebrate the entire month. Both episodes are going to be completely geared to to Jack's choosing, her style, and then I'm just going to annoy the shit out of her in November when it's my turn. Great. So, <laughs> but for this one, we wanted to go big, and there's not too many things bigger in Western culture, worldwide culture, than Titanic. Yep. Movie and boat. So, That's very true. Yeah. Both so, epic. So I do kids, because I had this horrible realization when I was doing some prep for this episode. The Titanic sank 107 years ago. That's huge. Like that, I hadn't thought about that because when the movie came out, it had happened in our century. Yes. Like it was still, like you sure it was 1912 <laughs> to 1998. I still think 10 years ago was the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> But I saw it on Wikipedia today, like 107 years. Fuck! Yeah, like it just hurt. That's it big. Hurt. It's big. I don't think that I actually realized the scale until I started watching Downton Abbey, and the first episode opens with uh, one of the main characters opening the newspaper and reading about the sinking of Titanic. And then when you're watching the show, because you get such a cross-section of culture at that time, Mm -hmm. you really understand how long ago it is. Because we can isolate it watching the movie and say, oh yeah, that was a long time ago, but we don't really understand until you see what else was going on. This is pre-World War I. Yeah. Well, you're not... Something like Downton Abbey would be perfect because you're getting a look at the culture as a whole. Yes. Right? You're not... Whereas Titanic, the film, is a very narrow take. It's You're on the boat. It's not like it's a miniseries and you're cutting back and forth to people's families or the White Star Line offices. It's just the experience of the people on the boat, like 5%. Of Bill Paxton and his crew, but that's it. Yeah. It's a microcosm. So I don't 
I don't know if people know about it anymore. I don't know if it's taught. I don't know if it's discussed. I don't, I don't know if the movies. No, you know what it is? Because Logan learned about it last year. Okay. In class. Good. Well, that that makes me happy. Well, then what we'll do then, because uh, we'll share some uh, quick Snapple facts off the hop here, just to get everyone quite accustomed. So, if you don't know how Titanic ends, we're not going to give you spoiler warnings. We're going to send Jack <laughs> over to hit you with a tack hammer because you're a fucking idiot, okay? We can't help you there. Uh, Titanic, as everyone famously knows, hit an iceberg on April 14th at 11.40 p.m. and sank just over two hours later. So, 2.10 a.m. Yes. I remember 15. because when I was obsessed with it, I would sometimes stay up until 2.10 in the morning and have a moment of silence. <laughs> You're such a nerd for this movie, and you gave me nothing but grief about my nerddoms at the time, which is why we're doing the show. Absolutely. To understand. Out of the estimated 2,224 2, passengers on board, a estimated 705 survived. That's horrific. While carrying enough lifeboats for 1,178 people. Something I didn't know is that this directly led to the establishment of the SOLAS, the International Convention for the Safety of Life at Sea in 1914. That organization still governs maritime safety today. Well, and at the time, there wasn't a lot of regulation. And when we talk more about the sinking, like you had mentioned, this isn't a historical podcast, but I think given the topic, we can throw in some reasons as to why it actually sank and what happened surrounding the culture and safety on the seas. Yes, safety on the high seas. And so we know the the level of opulence, the insanity on the ship. It was designed to be the pinnacle of comfort and luxury with an onboard gym, swimming pool, libraries, high-class restaurants, plural, and opulent cabins. I think that's a, a really important thing to talk about, too, because... The Titanic itself was such a cross-section of what culture was at the time. And I think this movie really captures it. We don't see second class. Uh, James Cameron left that out for the most part. Um, And Logan said, well, that would be us. (laughs) We would have been on second class. But, (laughs) which is... Even a little hot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Yeah. I think so. Potato-headed Irish people coming yeah. over. We weren't, we weren't in second class, no. <laughs> well, maybe not our ancestors, but no. at, at this time, if we injected ourselves into Titanic, we would be. So. Well, I think I think leaving that out, to, to get off the snapple facts, we'll just dive right into the movie. You, you mentioned the first class and third class. The film, and I think Cameron intentionally, because he doesn't do anything accidentally, deals so intensely in contrast. Oh, it yeah. is, it, he doesn't have time for any middle class people. It is the ultra rich and the ultra poor. That is all that he has time for. So that's the emotional hammers that he can hit you with. Well, and I think in terms of how epic this movie is, if you dealt with the second class people, it would have been needed to be a mini series. Yeah, like what who else do you deal with? Like there's already so much going on and he packs so much plot into this movie that you just could have some other character pop up. Hi, I'm James, second class. I could just kind of go anywhere I want. Yeah. I'm pretty clean. <laughs> Own a shoe shop. It's not doing well, but we're okay. Yeah, it's bo- that kind of plot line I guess would yeah. have been super boring where you want to see the disparity and because this was a time where Europe and the Western, well, the entire Western world, we really saw the gap between the haves and the haves not, have nots. It wasn't until the wars that everybody was on a similar playing field, unless you were, um, what's the word for it? A minority. Yeah. 
<laughs> I didn't yeah. mean that in a funny way. I meant it like it, yeah. if you What's were the word if you were for white. The things that rich white people hate minorities. Yes. That's it. But no, the 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 opulence and the decadence can't be ignored because it's it's so intrinsically tied to what happened and why yeah. it was allowed to happen. And you could even say the the filmmaking the film itself was the most opulent, extravagant, over the top film ever made at the time. Yep. People I remember reading articles in the newspaper about it where everyone in Hollywood was waiting for Cameron to sink. And they couldn't have found better headline fodder than the fact that he was making a movie about Titanic. His budgets ran absolutely insane. His shooting Hundreds ran overboard. Yes. I think something like $200 million was the budget. You wouldn't start to see budgets like that again until the superhero cinema started, where a $200 million budget is not uncommon nowadays. Well, and I don't even think it's comparable in terms of what they're doing. Like, I get with what the superhero world is doing that you would have budgets that high because of all the special effects. Yeah. You've got an, a cast of people that are top billing actors and actresses, whereas this, you have a couple of relatively nobodies. The only, the really big headliner in that movie was, at the time, um, Misery. Kathy Bates. Kathy Bates. Well, <laughs> Kathy Bates and Bill Paxton yeah. are probably the two biggest stars in the film. Uh, you, you could say Glory Stewart, but that's for for the old yeah. Hollywood people would look and go, "Oh my God, that's fucking Glory Stewart!" Like, but yeah, it, this is a world where Bill Paxton and Kathy Bates are the two biggest stars in Titanic. And Leo is going to be launched into stardom after this, and Kate Winslet in her own right, but more on the indie side of things. Yeah, but she's not. She definitely wasn't pulling in a twenty million dollar ticket. No. no. Well, it's. I think that's a perfect segue to kind of talk about the time in which this film was made because we've we've had phenomenons since then where films have really swept through the culture um a couple of year later we'd have episode one with star wars but that also braveheart when was braveheart braveheart was before this right okay so we did we've had epic historical we'd have historical epics but i'm talking about a film taking over the culture where it is omnipresent everywhere. Everyone's watching it, talking about it, listening. It's it's the biggest thing going. I saw it nine times in theaters. Yeah. <laughs> I saw it three times. Nine times. Times three. You do the math. Well, I think the... the oh, yeah, you win. You okay. definitely win. I think the important thing, though, is... I was thinking about this... I was in the eighth grade when this came out. You were in the ninth grade. So Which it was ready to sucker punch me right in the target well, audience. Well, you were so the target audience, and we'll talk about that in a sec, but in terms of the world in which Titanic emerged into. Right. We have internet, but it's basic. It's still very simple. You're, most people aren't getting their news from it yet. No. There's no social media. We're downloading some songs, watching some Flash animation, or reading Ghostbuster websites. Like, it's all... I played trivia games on the internet. Yeah. It's all very basic. See, we don't have that distraction. We don't have that... They can't use it to whip people into a frenzy now. So when a movie like Titanic hit and exploded, it didn't just explode, it stayed. And it was kind of a slow burn. Like, I remember Mom being excited about it. I wasn't. No. In particular, but Mom has a special connection to Titanic. We'll get into that later. Um, which is a personal connection 
kind of but, yeah, spiritual. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but she wanted to see it. So she was the one that encouraged me to go and see it. And when we did, I thought my life will never be the same after <laughs> watching something like this ever. And it's, and you're right about the slow burn. Cause this movie played in theaters for nine months to a year. It was in the theater. You could just go to the theater and Titanic would still be playing all the time. You know, it's, Avatar beat it at the box office, and it was a huge moment. But it kind of came and went within about six or seven months. Which is sorry, I keep touching you know like, it's fine. Which is we're, typical. <laughs> we're we're all, we're sitting awkwardly close yeah, around it's... our one microphone here. But think about uh, Avengers Endgame. You know that came and smashed Avatar's record, which no one thought it could really be beaten. And Endgame was a movement. It was the culmination of all these films, all these years. But it's. Five months later, and the average person isn't talking about it. Fans are like the hardcore Marvel fans, and people I know will. I'm still thinking. Oh yeah, about it, but, but not in the same way that Titanic no, was talking. Titanic about. hit and stayed, and it stayed on people's minds. And like you said, you saw it nine times. That's how these things happen. You get repeat viewings, and everybody goes. You know. A lot of, you know, some people didn't go and see Avengers Infinity War. Everybody went and saw Endgame. Like, everybody. Parents, kids, grandparents, everyone went. With Titanic, everyone in the fucking world went and (laughs) saw saw Titanic. In theater. A few times. Right. Well, it was something that you wanted to go and experience a couple times, at least in my mind. Yes. Um, Whether you needed to see it upwards of ten times, probably not necessary. I don't even know where I got the money. Probably my babysitting money. <laughs> but left the kids alone, got the money, went to Titanic. <laughs> but wow. it, it it came into I think a world that we hadn't had a big historical epics really since block or since Braveheart. But this was more tangible. Like when I think of Braveheart, that's like deeper history. It's deeper history, but it's also it's a rated R. Historical war movie, for lack of a better word. Right. So it's not going to get... No. You're not going to get the teens going. It's not a PG-13, PG-PG-13 movie that the whole family can see and wants to see. It's heavy. (laughs) Like, there's a lot... Like, obviously, it's very brutal because we know what happens and he doesn't shy from it. But to get the world involved like that, everyone has to be able to go. And fuck, everybody went. Like, and it was... I, even with... The movies that have happened since then, with with Avatar, which I saw multiple times, Endgame, I saw multiple times, it still doesn't feel anything like when Titanic came out. No. I don't think there's anything that has compared to that for me, at least. Mm. I mean, I'm not an obsessive 14-year-old anymore um, who dreams of the cinema, (laughs) but in terms of movie that has have affected me, and it has affected me for over 20 years, watching it the other night, I was still... I was still crying. I was. I think actually this viewing made me sick to my stomach because I'm looking at it from the perspective of a parent and an adult and actually taking in the tragedy, not the love story. Like the love story is great. I it brings back a lot of memories of my Leodum, but yeah. it, it that didn't hit me as much as watching the carnage at the end and just being overwhelmed. Well, being able to watch it not in a dispassionate way, but in a more critical way. Yeah. You can sit back and see. Because with with big movies like this, you can see some things age really well and some things don't. And if you want to look at a, a 
it's a funny list. You want to look at some of the films that have aged the worst in history? Look at the list of Best Picture winners at the Oscar. It's oh. shocking how many of the, right back to the beginning, how many of those movies either no one talks about anymore. Shakespeare in love. Or are just garbage. They've aged terribly. Other than some dodgy CG, which was cutting edge at the time, yep. this film visually has aged so well. There's there's some Cameron-y moments in the dialogue. Oh, there's a that deck scene has always bothered me right before Rose and Jack actually become friends. I remember feeling so awkward when she's like, you're being presumptuous and uncouth and you need to leave. And I'm like, but... What? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, James Cameron is an absolute master of what he does. He has an oddly small filmography, but you can't fuck with it. I no. can I can list it off on two hands. Terminator, Aliens, The Abyss, Terminator 2, True Lies, Titanic, and Avatar. And all of them but Avatar, I loved. Like that That's the man's... Now, you could say Piranha 2, The Spawning, but he technically got fired from that movie. But that's his filmography. Two of the highest grossing films of all time, two of the biggest sequels of all time. Like that like, he's untouchable at what he does. Yeah, he's epic. He really is, and but he does epic. God work. he benefits from a writing partner. Well, yeah, his dialogue and watching it now, I go, Oh, I would not have written that like that. And I couldn't tell if the delivery was poor or if they just had nothing to work with. And Kate Winslet, yeah. I admire as an actress. She's one of my favorite actresses, and I've seen her act the crap out of movies. So I don't think it's her fault, but there was... No, it's none of the actors' faults. It's He's, he's a, an absolute skilled filmmaker, but he his best films, he worked with other writers. Whether it's okay. William Wisher on T2 or, or any of the other ones he co-wrote. That's where he really shines. Because he can build these intrinsically huge worlds. But I think he'd even be the first one to admit humans have always confused him a little. Um, I think it was Stan Winston, who's a special effects guy, said, James Cameron can do everybody's job on set, but he can't act. So... Right. He's always been. I've a lot of actors have spoken about how he's tough to work with because he doesn't really understand. I've heard that he's a pain in the acting. ass, and he'll probably steal your wife and then lose his wife <laughs> for the new one because yeah. he's serial at that. Yeah. Well, the wife's in this. She's. Well, the, but she uh, left. He left Sarah Connor for this yeah. one, Susie Amos or something. I don't know what her name is. They've been married for years though, yeah. and he left Catherine Bigelow, or she left him for uh, for Linda Hamilton. So, but I do like his famous quote. They're like, you've had this history with strong women and leaving you. He's like, that's the problem with being in love with strong women is eventually they find out they don't fucking need you. Yeah. So <laughs> that's what happens. Well, but, and I can almost see this echoed in here when she breaks Jack's hand yeah. off the boat. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, he, he would definitely benefit because fuck, there is some cringeworthy dialogue in yeah, this. And it's, it's the same cringeworthy dialogue that's in Avatar. You know, if you have to look at the faults of those two, of his two biggest films. It's a lot of well, it's in the dialogue. And that's why I probably loved it at 14, because yeah. I just thought, oh my gosh, so romantic. Someone would say that. And no, they don't. People yeah. don't talk like well, that. Well, there's that's the thing. There's no, I don't want to say subterfuge or anything, but there's no, it's so honest that it's almost autistic writing. Like a little bit. Not, not to insult the autistic people or James Cameron anyway. No, you're saying they're off, honest. It's so raw and yeah. just 
earnest and honest. Like, yeah. well, of course, if, why wouldn't they say this to each other? It's They're awkward. madly in love. Shut the fuck up. I'm James Cameron. Well, and it was a different time, right? We don't speak in that type of English yeah. now where there's a lot of niceties and the way that she talks is we don't use those big words. No, and there's there's writers that can manage that uh, parlance, for lack of a better Antonabby word. Abby did it very well. Yes, they can balance that with what they need to get across with the style of the people at the time. There's some people that just lean into his dialogue and just make it shine. Billy Zane handles his dialogue oh, in this yeah. movie better than anyone, and he's such a bitch. He is such a supervillain, like, and he remains so. There was even that, that one part where... Right before he's going to get on the boat that he's paid off yeah. the guy for, and then his freaking partner in crime, that little Weasley dude, says, I've seen her on the other side, she's with him. And he falters for a moment, and he decides that he's not going to save himself, yeah. and then actually risk his life to go back and find her. I'm like, oh, he actually loves her. Are we going to get a redemption moment? And then when he realizes that she's not going to come with him, then he's yeah. like, I'm just going to shoot them all. I'm like, you are one of the best yeah. villains I've ever seen. He's so good. And it, it's a shame because Billy Zane's got a really bad rap because his career kind of took a shit and just through a lot of mismanagement, a couple of flops. But between this and Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight, where he plays a villain, <laughs> he is so fucking good in both of these movies. Yeah. Because he's just so... And he's fantastic in Tombstone as well. Right. Playing the, uh, the theatrical I guy. I forgot he was in that. Yeah, he's the uh, the one that the 90210 is in love with. Uh, Jason Priestley's character is in love oh, with Oh, right. And he just does that... Archie, almost drag esque. Yeah, because he's really pretty, and he looks like he's wearing eyeliner because he's got really thick eyelashes. Yeah, so that doesn't help making him look friendly and approachable. Yeah. He looks like he's edgy. Well, he's just so arch is the word. I only yeah. word I could use to describe it. Like he was just born for the West End. Like he should just be on on stage all the time. Well, playing and he, history's great villain. That's why it was perfect that he was cast in this, and I think the casting was spot on and that's something we had talked about because because of the way that I function and functioned when I was a teenager if I grabbed onto something I was going to research it until there was nothing left that's true nothing left and I would be obsessive about finding out facts about the making of it's important to remember at this time unless you saw it on entertainment tonight or there were tv specials and stuff because again this is a big deal when Jack says research, she went to the fucking library. Okay, <laughs> like Dewey Decimal. That, yeah, that Dewey Decimal, bitches. <laughs> Dewey, your decimal system is played right into my grasp. That's like that's what we're talking about here. When I when we say pre-internet, yeah, this culture, wasn't internet. You research. wanted to learn about Titanic? Jack went to the fucking library and got a book and fucking read it. Okay, <laughs> like not just one because there was lots of stuff written about yeah. Titanic. But one of the things I found out about the making of is the people that they screen tested. The two biggest ones that were in the running was Liv Tyler and Gwyneth Paltrow, mm-hmm. who I cannot stand. And both of them, I mean, Liv Tyler maybe, but she's so wispy. I love Liv Tyler, but she would have been completely wrong. Yeah, for the part. And James Cameron wanted an unknown. Yeah, um, he knew that Leo. Uh, was a heartthrob. He knew that Leo was going to do well in this movie. I don't even remember who tested for Jack. It may have been... It was probably every other actor, young actor of that age in Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'm so glad that they went with Kate Winslet because she is every woman. Well, she's she's every woman. She's 
powerful in the film, but she looks like a China doll. Yeah. She looks like someone from that era. Absolutely. I love that they ridiculously kept Leo's hair. In the oh, movie. they didn't even have to change that '90s cut. Like it's just <laughs> so that perfect. to me, I see, and it's hilarious because I I like Leonardo DiCaprio, and I think he deserves a lot of the flack he gets because he acts so hard in a lot of his films that he ends up coming off foolish. Yeah, but I I say this with great respect because I do enjoy him as an actor. This is probably hands down one of his top three worst performances in a film. You think so? He's awful, and it's the script's fault because he is he's not a character. Jack isn't a character. Oh, no. We don't get a lot of background, but that wasn't the point of putting him in the film. Oh, no. It, it's a purely business decision. Let's take the the most biggest, you know, dreamy heartthrob in the world. But he knows he's got chops because he's done Basketball Diaries, This Boy's Life, well, Gilbert Grape. Every movie he'd done before this, he crushed it. Like, River Phoenix died, and Leo was like, Stepping Ooh, right I'm in. in at the Viper Room, waiting. <laughs> yeah. Just waiting. Yeah. Standing out back going, no, no more Critters 3 for me. <laughs> and so, yes, Leo was in Critters well, 3. Well, and that, I think people had complained at the time, well, how come Leo didn't get an Oscar nod? He didn't deserve it for this film. No. He did not. He got robbed on what's eating Gilbert oh, Grape, but he did not deserve 100%, it for this movie. But he, no, he didn't. And I don't even know that I could say that Kate wins. I mean, she didn't win. Frances McDormand won for Fargo, which was... Yeah. Above and beyond a performance. Yeah. Rose is a character in a movie. The movie's actually about the ship. Yeah. The ship should have got a fucking Oscar nod. Yeah, we just need... Well, it did. That's... <laughs> well, every, yeah, but it, it, as a character. It, it did a almost clean sweep. Where it Eleven. everything it was nominated for except her. Yeah. So... Well, and Gloria Stewart was nominated, wasn't she? Which is another interesting little factoid that up until that point, I don't know if it's happened after... The only role to have two different actresses nominated for the same role. Okay, so both Case Winslet and Gloria Stewart were nominated. So she, Gloria Stewart, supporting actress, actually, did she win? I'm gonna check and see. Uh, we'll, yeah, we'll have a look into that. Wait, we keep mentioning Gloria Stewart, and it, I want to take a sec while Jack's looking into this. She plays old Rose, and if you were to look up Hollywood royalty. In the dictionary, Gloria Stewart would probably be one of those names. Pretty sure. Oh, it's Julia Binoche for the English patient. Okay. She started acting in the 30s, so she was part of that golden age Hollywood system. She had a very fruitful relationship or working relationship with James Whale. She was in The Old Dark House, okay, uh, which is the original Haunted House movie. Ooh. She was in The Invisible Man. Just go look at her IMDb. It's it's incredible. If you're into golden era Hollywood, otherwise you'll look at it and go, I have no fucking idea. Well, I had no idea who she was. I knew that she was somebody big because I remember mom saying something about it, but... Yeah. Um, I didn't know how big, so that was a good casting choice on his part. Oh yeah, because it's how do you reach back? He's not you could he could have got some unknown whatever, but she's literally from that era. You know, she perfect. She can trace that lineage, so it's perfect, and she's awesome in this movie. Oh, she's she great. Has just enough of that old Hollywood kind of cheesy haughtiness to her but can still sit and just crush it with any actor well, they put in front of her. And in terms of echoing the character of Rose 
she does a good job as an old woman because yeah. Rose is feisty, she's fiery, she doesn't hold her tongue. She says what she wants, she does what she wants, and this is what this old woman does. Even when they show her in the helicopter coming out with her little chihuahua terrier thing and her <laughs> goldfish and her pictures. Well, which is such an, an old Hollywood actress thing to do where it's, I'm royalty bitch, and I brought well, 15 and they, trunks. They, and then they show her getting on the ship as a 17-year-old with all of those things yeah. and all of her... Monet and Van Gogh and all the the possessions. Yeah, well, it's the possessions in the at the start were important. When she's old, it's her photographs, her life, her memories. Yeah, that's important. But that's just that's just really fucking smart filmmaking. Like this, you don't. If you don't want to think about it, you don't have to. But if you want to go and look, which is why a movie well, like Titanic benefits from rewatch and her because you can see her character arc while the ship is sinking. Yeah, before the ship even sinks. They arc her, and that's great because then they continue that same legacy. And so then Jack did serve a purpose. That's what he was there for, which is beautiful. I'm getting goosebumps. So speaking of Jack, something not this Jack, the other Jack, the dead Jack. Something I want to talk a little bit about before we kind of dig into the more so into the film itself. I want to talk about heartthrob culture. Okay. Because it's... I can do that. I've always found it creepily fascinating how comfortable society is marketing older men or older boys, 17, 18, 19, 20, who should to little girls. And I never really thought of it that. And like Tiger Beat, Tiger Bop, oh, Big I Bop, had all the of Big them. Bop, whatever the fuck, all those bops. Actively marketing these boys and, and that they're pretending that they're in love with these girls and yep. encouraging this. What, looking back at it as an adult now, what are your what are your thoughts on that? Because it's fucking weird to me. Um, I think it gives. I mean, clearly, I've lived a lot of life, and since then, it gives you a really unrealistic depiction of what boys should be like and look like. And if you're not noticing, like, the people in Dawson's Creek are actually 24, not 14 and 15, Mm. then you think that that is who you're looking for. So you're not... The same goes for depictions of what ideal women are. They're unrealistic portrayals of women. So then young boys feel like that is what's beautiful, and then they overlook everything else, or they just grow up with that unrealistic, romanticized... Yeah. Especially if you can't separate reality from the fantasy... I don't know. I was right. I was the target for heartthrob culture. You saw my room as a kid. Oh my god! I had plastered. My favorites were Leonardo DiCaprio, Devin Sawa, who was an underdog in terms of heartthrobs. Yeah. But I was in love. Wild America. In love, and they were in love with me. Yeah. I think it's just it's almost a rite of passage too. It's just part of our culture. But even I think now when you talk about the age difference, it's even worse because the heartthrobs now are like One Direction, who are in in their 20s, or the Jonas Brothers, and eight, nine-year-old girls are fawning over them. Well, that, because I, working at Value Village, every now and then, they're, I don't know if they're called Tiger Beat anymore or whatever, but... Yeah, they're still printing them. Which seems like a very sexual name, but it seems like it should be a some kind of gay porn, though. Tiger, Tiger Beat sounds like an underground so gay gross. fight club or something. Where are we going tonight? Tiger Beat. Ew. Like, it just does. Um, but I still, they see them coming, I'm like, we're still doing this. Yeah, it's like, not right. No it, one. We're se- people are sexualizing young people and marketing them 
to well, even younger people. They're sexualizing young boys and marketing them to little girls. And that, it, it's, you would think today, like with what's going on with <laughs> Me Too and, the me, and all this movement and stuff, but it seems, I don't know if, I don't know if there's people out there that are mad about it and they're working on it, but it seems to me like there's this blind spot there is, an, do you remember when Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera, and there was that height in the, the late 90s, early 2000s. When the, the pop heads came back, yeah. And a lot of those girls either had nervous breakdowns, mm-hmm. like Britney Spears, or they completely rebelled and lost their careers. Um, Pink is the only one that actually managed to maintain it because she didn't become a heartthrob and wouldn't sign over her soul Mm. but Christina Aguilera came out and publicly talked about Genie in a Bottle but she didn't want to make those songs so then they come out with this shock album um, where she did the song Dirty yeah, and say like I and they've written about it too I don't want to be slapped on a plastic lunchbox I'm so tired of this and a lot of them can never recover and I think that is a disgusting systematic issue kind of like Judy Garland yeah. Same thing. Well, right? it goes all the way back because back then even you had, you would get like the playbills and the magazines and stuff with the actors and actresses and there'd be the film reels of her and Mickey Rooney playing at the pool and yeah, like it, it's, it hasn't ever changed since the dawn of Hollywood. So. I think what changes now is the conversation that we have around it. Because mom grew up in that 60s, 70s era where you liked the monkeys and the Beatles, and that was normal. So when the 90s came around, and these were wholesome kids too, like the heartthrob culture, they showed them as wholesome. Yeah. And the movies we were watching were not sexual movies, like maybe they'd kiss at the end. Um, Casper. Was the first time well, I saw yeah, Devin Casper, Sawa. Wild America, stuff like that. They are you are now right and when then. you use the word wholesome. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. it wasn't sexualized. I didn't imagine myself in a sexual relationship at fourteen with them. Mm. Wanted to make out with them, probably kiss my posters a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> that's just what the generation was. It was the nineties. Okay. Do you think it's worse now with social media because they have so much more access to these people? I think it's worse now and censorship has gone down and what our kids have access to is just ridiculous. Um, Women keep wearing less and less and less clothes even though we have Me Too. Like, I just think of when the Megan Fox heartthrob thing came out and I'm like, that is the example that we're setting for our young boys? Luckily, Logan's into Taylor Swift, but she went through... A phase two where I was hypersexualized. Mm. So I don't know. It's it's a weird culture. It's almost just a rite of passage that a lot of us don't talk about. Well, maybe that'll but be the next discussion point that people will, will bring up is this. Because it, it is a very interesting little blind spot. But let's talk about this goddamn movie. Yes, I had not wa- Before we did the prep for this, I had not watched Titanic in probably five years. And before that, it had been a long time. Yeah, me too. Because it it's, was the biggest movie in the world until Avatar came out. And even this day, 22 years later, it's still the third highest grossing film ever made in the era of the mega block. Well, and that's, I think, what bothers me so much when you say you're a Titanic fan and people poo-poo it like, oh, you like Pumpkin Spice? You're so basic. You like Titanic? You're so basic. It's a really good film. Well, it's become so popular 
to mock films like Titanic. I remember a few years ago, it was the popular thing to do in the film community to start taking pot shots at Forrest Gump. Ugh, which why? I think something that Titanic and Forrest Gump have in common is that they're both incredibly emotionally honest films. Yeah. And you could say almost emotionally naive in that honesty, where they're just so, their heart is right on their sleeve. Here's what the movie is about. There is... We're not pretending anything. This is exactly how involved we are in the source material. Here it is. So they're easy targets. because I, It makes me so upset. It just pisses me off because, one, well, I think Forrest Gump is a better movie than Titanic in terms of performances and everything. And writing, yeah, yeah. absolutely. But you can still, I also think, because we talked about this last time with Wizard of Oz, because the movie was so huge and Wizard of Oz has spent 90 years kind of being parodied, sometimes lovingly, sometimes not, because Titanic was so big, when you're the big kid in the yard, people are going to start taking shots at you. I so the I'm king of the world, all this stuff has all been so well, yeah, I mean, mocked that was and lame. parodied. And because the film is so honest, it... Almost, it leaves itself so vulnerable by being vulnerable. It's a true, like, part of the reason I think it bothers me more than, well, when people make fun of Forrest Gump, I'm like, are you really making fun of somebody who's autistic or whatever um, ailment he has? But Titanic's a true story. Yes, the Rose and Jack thing isn't there. So I had a lot... You know how we riff on movies, especially when we're watching them again, and you're like, you yeah. see the faults. I struggled through the second half of the movie making fun of anything in there. Well, that's the thing. Once they hit the iceberg, the film takes us pretty serious... It, it He downshifts. Yeah. And the cheesiness drops away, and you're we're into full-on... This is James Cameron, the action director. Yeah. Like, this is like the last... 40 minutes of Aliens. And it doesn't like, stop. No. But his his best movies don't. Like it's Aliens, T2, True Lies. Once, those, once he hits that gas, he can sustain that speed without wearing you out prematurely. Like, you don't get exhausted before the end of the movie. But you are right. As the ship itself broke into two pieces, the film is really divvied into two pieces. It is. You have this, like we talked about off the top of the episode, this class divide. It's a Romeo and Juliet story. That's really oh, what Oh, they're star-crossed lovers, and that's how you need to sell it, too. If you just made a movie like A Night to Remember, where it's just about the sinking and not really about character, nobody's going to watch it. Yeah. You need to feel sad not only for the, the people that are going to die, but gut-wrenched for Jack and Rose because yeah. they both have horrible stories. Yeah. Well, it's there by following them onto the ship and then down with the ship. It's we're grie- we're allowed to grieve the loss of the Titanic by grieving their loss of each other. Yeah. Because we can't... The Titanic's too big. We can't... It's 100 years ago. We can't actually grieve that loss of those people. Well, speak we, for yourself. <laughs> well, we... To, to a point... We can, right? Not in the way, the immediacy where we can grieve their separation. And you you are completely correct. Because I've heard people bitch about it. Well, what's the fucking love story? It's so stupid. I'm like, yeah, but you have to have that for this film to work. And let's let's put it in perspective. The chances of something like that happening on that ship with that many people are probably pretty high. Yeah. They showed, uh, is it the Asters Mm -hmm. in bed together? That Oh, my gosh, that rips my heart out even still. The Asters or the Strauss? It's not the Asters. Is it the Strauss? It could be, yeah. 
Isidore Strauss and his Isidore wife. Strauss, thank I you. I think so. I, I th- we, we think. Who actually died in an embrace. Yeah. They couldn't get out, and they were first-class passengers. There's the people down below who put their babies to bed and waited to die with them. Like, just horrific. Well, you see these moments. In, that's a really nice actual montage that he does where he shows oh. the... Because you're, you're getting these... I'm so fucking rich and smashed <laughs> on brandy and smoking these just pig captain of industry oh, people. Yeah. But then you see them all acting terrible, but then at the end, you know, it's like, you're going to get put on your vest. He's like, no, we're dressed in our best and, and we're, we're going down to like go gentlemen. Down. Yeah. But I wouldn't mind a brandy, you know. And Well, it levels the playing field. Yeah. Aside from the poor people trapped in steerage that the the upper class and the, the crew didn't want to have to contend with the the bowels of society, which is another right. horrific cross-section of culture. But we're now on a level playing field. Only 700 people survived. 700. Most of them were first class. There were some third class, second class survivors as well. Yeah. Most of the men died. Very few men survived. So we, we leveled the playing field. And you know when you look at it in that scene in the water, you can't even make out a face because they're all the same person. Well, that's... They're all people. Yeah. And it's... It's something that I I remember having this conversation actually with our cousin Becky at uh, Christmas last year. We were talking about on the beach, uh, the Neville Shoot right. book. Right. Yep. And one of the reasons that book is so powerful is dealing with the human capacity for dignity in the face of death and destruction. And you get wonderful moments in Titanic where they handle that very well. Yeah. And that, because that's what gets me in this movie this time watching it, is that fucking incredible dignity of the band. Oh. I, that, that was the closest I came to crying this time was the band, where they all walk away and it's just the one violin player and he starts playing Nearer My God to Thee. Yeah. And I'm like, you bitch. Like, he just, <laughs> and it's been a privilege playing with you tonight. And apparently. Let's all kiss. Like, he's just. Apparently that was a, yep. a real story. I mean, there's nobody really to confirm except some, the survivors that would have heard it. Yeah. But that, it, looking in the face of the, especially the men, yep. knowing that they're going to die. The captain knows they're going to die. Almost everybody on that ship, Mr. Andrews, would have known. Like, yeah. that's what is gut wrenching about it this time is that I didn't watch it for the love story this time. I didn't watch it for Leo. I watched it as an adult. Yeah. And actually took in the scope of the tragedy that happened. Well, once once it gets going, like, is we know what's going to happen. Like, Granddad, <laughs> tell, the, tell the story. Well, I had asked Granddad to come and watch it with me because I just wanted a reason to go with anybody. Yeah, everyone and, had already gone with Jack at yeah, this point. I said, would you go and watch it with me? And he's like, well, that is the one movie that I don't think I need to go to because I already know the ending. <laughs> and he could say that without being <laughs> And bitchy. he was serious. He's like, why would I go and watch a movie that I know how it ends? Yeah. Just That's perfect waste of his time. Gentleman logic. Yeah. Yeah. But it's once... <laughs> We're biased because we know how it ends, but I don't think even, I don't think anyone in the audience was really prepared for the level of intensity that we were going to see. That was the first real death, like the people um, banging off the ship when it's upright. I had never experienced anything like that and never did again until 9-11. And I still have images of the people that jumped out of the building and hit the pavement and you could hear it and you could hear it in this movie. Like it's just horrific to know that that happened. It's, 
and you talked about that that there's this feeling of inevitability because we know the ship's yeah. going to go down. And it's never even though I hope like maybe, maybe the ending will yeah. be different and Jack will there's, get on that door. There's an alternate universe where the Titanic <laughs> didn't sink and no. we get to watch that movie. But it's once that it hits and that pace starts to go and, and the music the water starts to oh. the water becomes a wonderful antagonist in the film oh because my he, God, yeah. he treats it like a villain that's like a slasher villain. That water is just slowly creeping and then crash and then it calms down again. Yeah. And, so and yeah. some pieces of the ship are flooded, some of them aren't yet. You see that when Rose goes back down to, to get Jack. Mm. Um and you don't know when it's coming in, where it's coming in. It kills a child. Like you see two dead babies in this, which is big. You see the death of one. You know those two kids in the steerage are gonna die with their mother. Yeah. And then you see that Can't dead fuck around. He'll kill babies. And so when you say the water is an antagonist, not only is it for drowning, but then hypothermia after. Yeah. And it's, I think something else that benefits the the sinking and everything is Cameron doesn't do um, what I would call the Spielbergian slowdown. Uh, nope. Steven Spielberg is famous for countdowns and stuff in his movies. And Spielberg can stretch a minute. Oh, Spielberg can stretch 10 seconds into a glorious 10 minutes. And you don't care watching the movie because he's so brilliant yeah. at it. But Cameron doesn't indulge in that here. The only it's, time he did is when Jack puts Rose on the lifeboat and she jumps off on the second deck. Yes. And that slows down enough. That's the only time. Yeah. It's, we're not, he doesn't drag out the sinking. He uses the the terrible inevitability of it. As his push, you know, like like the Terminator chasing Sarah Connor in those movies. That's how he's keeping us moving here. Is that boat is going to go down? And every time he cuts back, we're a little more sunk, a little more yeah, sunk. We I, don't stabilize. No, and I really kind of it hit me when I watched it this time. Um, it's sinking down below, and it looks all horrible. And then some places are calm, and then it pans back to the wide scenes because he's really good at doing the really wide shots and then bringing it in intimate, yeah. which is amazing. And it, I think this movie needed that kind of camera work. But you realize that that ship is sitting only a little bit out of the water. It's that wide. You're exactly right. And I think we're probably thinking about the exact same probably. shot. The wide shot where you see the bow. And the it's quiet. The boat Up is, top, really. yeah, is just maybe two or three feet out of the water. And you have that for me, I think, is where the first time it really hammers home of, oh my God, this fucking thing is gonna sink. Yeah. And, and they're alone. They're, there's nobody coming yeah. for four hours. And we have to sit, and not only is it gonna sink, not only do we know it's gonna sink, we now have to sit and watch it. Yeah. And he just pushes it to the limit of what he can show, how much we can handle as an audience. Because it's a PG-13 film. You can only show so much. They he could have gone was. fucking brutal with it. But oh, he did, though. You, Because he understands pacing so perfectly, you have, like, run and the break and the crash. And as we're running, we take a minute with the priest who's holding everybody's hands. Oh. Fuck, I hate that. But again, it's one of those human dignity moments. And it doesn't really matter what he's saying. It's that he believes it in that moment. And that it, he, those people need to hear it. And that race to the top and the falling and the breaking of the boat. Like, it's just, 
cheesiness aside, that last 45 minutes to an hour of that movie, that won at the Oscar. Oh, it had to. It had because to because it wasn't the love story that was going to win because it is cheesy, no. but it was the st- the telling of the sinking. Yeah. By the time we get to they're on the door and he, they have their little very chilly goodbye and then the fucking theme starts playing. Oh. That goddamn When she theme. gets in the water and she's going to try to blow the whistle and yeah. oh my God. It's easy to pick on the theme because of the theme song. Well, we talked about this. Celine Dion. Yeah. Like, kind of rude. My, my Heart Will Go On is just an incredible song. It is. Like, the song itself you can't fuck with. It's James Horner, who hadn't worked with uh, James Cameron since Aliens, because they basically, James Horner's response to making that movie was, life's too short. I can't do this Yeah, again. he's... Like, Cameron just doesn't understand composers. I'm done. So when he came back to this, they patched up their relationship, and he crafted an absolutely brilliant song and and score in the general. The entire soundtrack, when you but look at that, the Irish music that, that you... Oh. build of that main... Like, just in terms of that main theme and into the theme song, that build and the way that even... Because who else are you going to get? Like, Celine Dion is <laughs> just as cheesy as the movie. Like she, she's, she's headlining winking the gun herself. Vegas. Have you seen the video of her actual, like the music video that they put out in '97? Oh yeah, Jack. It, you're asking she's if on I the saw boat my heart and, like, will go on. Flowing. Oh, it's so bad. It's Everybody so bad. saw it. I Everybody so. danced to it at every single high school dance. Everybody made out to that song. Oh yeah. You put that song on, and your girlfriend was just like, "Oh, feelings." Yeah. <laughs> like just and just we put it on. We put on repeat at people's houses. But it's easy because the song is so ridiculous, though brilliant, to forget that the music in that song is your main melody in the film and how brilliant that is. It's haunting. It's fitting for the time. It's, I think it was a masterpiece. Like, this is probably the only movie, no, I really loved Last of the Mohicans soundtrack and I love the Braveheart soundtrack, but Mm. there hasn't been a soundtrack that I listened to on repeat ever or even cared about because I think after Titanic, I didn't care about soundtracks. Yeah. I really did it. Uh, scores. This is scores. Scores. Not like the I'm not talking albums. about the soundtrack album where you yeah. have a lot of nice songs on it that you enjoy, but the score. And I was a, a fan of classical music from Granddad's influence, so I really appreciated the clarinet, the flute, everything that you could hear in the background, and I loved it. And it really complemented the film. Yeah, it's the the score is an is an absolute fucking masterpiece and it it almost like it's it's a shame because we've since lost James Horner. He's passed away. He has done so much incredible work and the fact that we almost didn't have that because of him and Cameron's bad blood. But as soon as he said famously, as soon as I heard about the project, I was like, I have to call him. Yeah. Because he heard about it, got a hold of the script from the studio and read it and like I wrote the themes before I went to talk to him. That's amazing. He's like I knew I knew exactly what the movie had to sound like and went and pitched it all to him and he's like, Yep, that's it. That's you you go well, and I don't you, you'll think be James Horner now. You've got the movie and you if you had a different soundtrack, it wouldn't be the same. Well it's any any great film, right? But especially Titanic because it's the soundtrack, for the most part, that main, that's, it's simple. It's very simple. It's fucking haunting. Like, uh, the so, so the selection off the top of the episode, Jack actually chose that. That 
voice. Like you can play that theme on any instrument. And mm-hmm. I've heard it played on dozens of different instruments. But the human voice doing that. And that's not like somebody went, what if we try it this No, that way? wasn't by accident. That is, that is a brilliant composer doing their job perfectly. Well, and it sounds, I don't mean this in a rude way, it sounds wet. It sounds like there's water involved in it too. It's like someone's drowning and it's it's the sound. And it is the sad cry of the ocean. Yeah. It is the ocean lamenting what's happening. That's the theme of Titanic. So, oh my god, I just said something really smart. You did. Let's <laughs> like, let's talk about this, okay? Because we haven't really talked about this and the safety that wasn't involved in how it actually sank. So this is probably okay. a, a good place to talk about it. Now that we're talking about the ocean's lament. Yeah. <laughs> because there was a couple reasons um, that this happened, and it had to do with human hubris. Hubris is a perfect word. Um, The the pure size of the ship, it was supposed to be the biggest. That's why it was called Titanic. But there was some major malfunctions that occurred with the construction of it that didn't have anything to do with the fact that it was built in Ireland. It was, and to the cheapest bidder. Yeah. It had to do, again, with this hubris that we talked about, the rivets, um, were made not for cold weather and weren't tested in Arctic waters or yeah. Atlantic, North Atlantic. Um, the watertight bulkheads that they built, which would have worked in theory, but they didn't cap the watertight bulkheads. They didn't go all the way to the deck. Because they never thought that it was going to happen. Yeah. Um, the fact that they turned at the last minute, had they hit that iceberg straight on, the bulkheads would have done what they were supposed to do because it would have destroyed the first two, so you would have had casualties, but it would have would have stayed buoyant until help came. Yeah, they could have evacuated onto the Carpathia. But because it cut along the now frigid and really, I don't even know what the word is. Brittle? Brittle steel, iron, um, from the North Atlantic waters, it cut through all of the watertight bulkheads. What's well, funny, they talk about that in Ant-Man. When he breaks into Michael Douglas's house oh, really? and he freezes the lock, he's like, fun fact, the people that made the steel for this safe also made the steel for the Titanic. See? And there you go. Yeah. But you you are correct in, in saying that it's the hubris. The It can't happen, so why would we plan for it? We are at the the height of our civilization. What could we're, we're, everything's electrified. My God, only one in six people have polio anymore. Yeah. Like, Britain's still a superpower. Mm-hmm. America is coming up as another superpower after yeah. the wars. You couldn't get any more arrogant yeah. than this period in time. Well, it's it's the the age of the captains of industry, you know, these... J.P. Morgan. Yeah, the, the Rockefellers, all these people, this... Tycoons. Ameri- yes, you know, tycoons, cap- it's these industrialists in the, in the true sense of the word, where you this American aristocracy of business and production is meeting British aristocracy of lineage and birth and yes. breeding. And Cameron addresses that yeah. when he talks about um, Kathy Bates's character, Molly Brown, being new money, so she's not as good. Yeah, and bringing Jack Dawson into that world, and then Kate or Rose is telling all of the dirty laundry of all of the people, and she can't be bothered. She doesn't like it. She doesn't want to be where she is in life in terms of royalty. Yeah. Um, and talking about Astor and Morgan and all of those people. In a way that just exposes them. Which is great because it's so subtle. And if you're just watching it for the love story, you're not... And the disaster, you're not going to get it. But if you're smart and 
well, if you know a little bit about the history around it, yeah. you're going to hear it. If you want to see a couple of good sides of how this is presented, uh, Jack recommended Downton Abbey. Yes. I would recommend Martin Scorsese's The Age of Innocence. Um, Ooh, that's a good one too. Yeah. The the book is excellent. It's a good book. The movie's excellent. Uh, you can go check out the Older Frame Apart episode where I, I discussed that with uh, Lawnmower Man because that's awesome. Uh, yes, Edith Wharton, uh, who uh, Del Toro named the main character in uh, Crimson Peak after her. So oh. she's named Edith. So, snap of facts. But you are, you are continuing with what you were saying about the, the hubris of man and... Well, I just think it it's an interesting thing to look at because the film really does explore it. We talked about the safety issues. You talked about Solace um, coming up after this disaster. And there was another Lusitania also sank in World War One, I, I believe. Yeah, the, that was a little bit different. Well, that was shot. The, that was, that was torpedoed. torpedoed. Um, you, this is the biggest peacetime uh, maritime disaster. Right. Um, because you, you had huge thinkings through, especially World War II, where you they'd torpedo a boat and, you know, 2,000 people would drown. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the lifeboats were another issue. Yeah. Um, the fact that they thought it would clog the deck if they put two to a yeah. deck, even though it should have been, they weren't filled properly because even as they were evacuating people, they didn't actually believe it was going to sink. Yeah. Even that scene that we've said where it's submerging, it's almost at the bow, uh, they still didn't believe that it was going to go down. Let's go faster. Yeah. And the sea was calm yeah. that day, which you would think was great, but then it made it hard. For, oh, it just... It's one of it's those overwhelming beautiful <laughs> moments in hindsight where it's all so obvious. I actually, I saw a thing, because it was yesterday? Uh, yeah. Yesterday was September 11th. So, 18, the 18th anniversary. So, somebody had posted a video of, if you want to watch something scary, watch the morning news on from September 11th. Oh, yeah. Before the planes hit. And they're like, you kind of get, in hindsight... The world was in such a fucked up place yeah. that something had to happen because you hear these people talking about, oh, no more problems out of this area. But it's that jaunty pre 9-11, you know, Western innocence of, yeah, it's all terrible. It's fine. Nothing can get us here. This yeah. is North America. We're and that's great. exactly what Titanic yeah. was. And I'm a fan of that kind of analogy because as a anthropology professor one of the things that i talk about is collapse of complex civilizations and in that lecture series we talk about mistakes that happen over and over and over again and how it leads to horrific events the collapse of certain cultures and places around the world and i always talk about titanic because these are preventable disasters It's a perfect case study to explain to somebody what that means. And I get a lot of eye rolling, and that's why I say, you know what? No matter how you feel about this movie, it is a perfect cross-section of what was going on in the world, Western world at the time. Yeah. And it's just, just to bring it back to the movie itself, yes, there's cheese. There's cheese involved yeah, in anything. But For God's <laughs> sakes, Han Solo wore blue jeans in Star Wars. I think okay? it's there's like, in Titanic, everywhere. it's melted cheese. Yeah, it is... <laughs> It is just so oh, it made it so good. Honest and listening to it when we were watching it, it did for a moment 
it took me right back to the eighth grade. Right. And going to the movies, a girl I dated in quotes because you're in the eighth grade. You don't really date anybody. Who? Uh, Amy Harland. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah I remember her. And uh, going to the movies uh, with her and her mom. We went and saw Titanic three times. Julie Parks came with us a couple times. And then going to Woody Hooks after to have a... Uh, Woody Hooks? Yeah. <laughs> Woody Hooks. <laughs> I haven't heard that yep. in a long time. Yeah, to have the appetizer plate and stuff and talk about the movie. And it it took me back to going to Trent Cinemas and the yep. smell of the theater. Yep. And I'll look back... I look back on seeing Avatar fondly because I had a very profound, creative engagement I with that film. You did that Lots movie. of people do and... Fine, I won't. Yeah. If you don't like a movie, you don't like it. But I had a very, my emotional reaction to it was very on a creative level. Right. I, I'll always look back on Avengers Endgame and that will be, but that's 10 years of movies building up to that for me. Titanic is always going to be kind of your first love with me and, and big events like that in cinema. You know, episode one, like I said, it came out a year later. So we were in a new world of blockbuster culture and that change that Star Wars brought when it came back. Because Star Wars then led into Lord of the Rings to Harry Potter. Oh, an epic, epic blockbusters. Yeah, of a scale that we hadn't seen before. And Titanic ushered that in, just like the ship itself ushered it in. And it's, I'm sure most people haven't watched the movie in some time. Because it's one of those movies we all saw so much when we were younger, we just don't need to watch anymore. Do yourself a favor. Yeah. You know, have a nice dinner, pour a glass of wine, and sit down by yourself a long time. with your with your partner, with your friends or whatever, and watch it and just kind of let yourself go back. Like Bill Paxton said, are you ready to go back to Titanic? You kind of have to go with that. Well, and it aged, but it. it did age really well. Because as much yeah. as it takes you back to being 14 or however old you are when you were when you watched it, it aged phenomenally yeah. well. Because there wasn't, I mean, even the Gloria Stewart stuff, there was nothing that defined what era it was other than yeah. there was no cell phones. It's somewhere in the 90s, given the genes. Yeah. Yeah, given the plethora of denim on the science ship, it is the 90s. So, and that works. And I think this movie as a whole, and why I pick it for my September mm. birthday fest, yeah. is... Is not just because I loved it when I was 14. It's because it showed me when I was young that you can do um, historical dramas, which as a lover of history, you know that I love. And more will be revealed on our next episode about how much I love history. <laughs> much to Bob's chagrin. Talk me in the um, <laughs> It's going to be good. It's going to be great. But what I love <laughs> is that there's a love story in the midst of disaster. Yeah. And it's done as the focus of it. And that's what kind of my first novel that I'm in the midst of writing is about. There's a love story in the middle of the disaster, but the story is actually about the the disaster and having to live together in that survival yeah. mode. Which is funny because with my writing, I went completely in a direction. Yeah. I'm like, love story and Titanic. Fuck that shit. It's going to be great. <laughs> well, that's what... Why what if uh, <laughs> Rose need to keep Jack warm, unhinged her jaw... And fucking swallowed him. 
And then Jack said, I thought they smelled bad on the outside. Like Star Wars, like poetry. <laughs> you mean she ate Jack? Yeah, it's on the end of like your fucking jaw. It's fucking right in. And yeah. then body heat, shed, warmth, and then like they pick him up and puked him up she later. fucking boffs him up like an owl pellet <laughs> in front of Mr. Fantastic. And they're like, whoa. And she's like, I'm tired. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> that I is a version I'd love to see. <laughs> no, I have written that She movie. just fucking honks him in. <laughs> Well, there was only boat. room enough for one of them on that door, so yeah. she had to do something. She just let him freeze in Cameron's version. Yeah. We're not gonna. We won't get into the the internet horseshit of. I drew a diagram in Photoshop. Oh god! So it means obviously Rose is a cunt. Yeah. Like, no, it means you drew a diagram in Photoshop. Well, how did you explain it? You looked up on the internet. I looked why up. Why did Jack die? Why did Jack die? And it's simple because on page one forty seven of Cameron's script. Jack dies. Yeah. So whether he drowned and they were separated, I mean, she, she did give it a, a maybe a a C level. Let's try and get him on. Like it kind of tipped and they could have went to either side. Yes. But and in interviews, James Cameron has been interviewed and asked, there was clearly enough room for Jack on that door. Why was he not on the door? And why did he freeze? Because he needed to die. The story's about loss. He. We talked about this watching the movie. Yeah. Jack, if he had have survived. The film would have been so cloying and cliche. It's like if Romeo and Juliet hadn't have died at the end and they decided to make a surprise ending. It wouldn't have been the same movie. No, it would have been like what? You cut to 15 years later and like Jack's kind of fat and up. And they're living like, in a trailer. I'm an artist, Rose. I'm an artist. <laughs> yeah, no. What is it? Why don't you go draw some fucking money, Jack? And that's what. That's what made 14-year-old girls and 18-year-old girls and 25-year-old guys, whoever, whatever, want to go and see it again and again is because it rips your heart in two. Yeah. Not just the love story, but the sinking itself. Yeah. And I think that is a great segue into my Quotely Corner for okay. this Okay. Jack's Quotely Corner. I have not... I've chosen not to use a quote from the film because there are so many that we could use and sometimes it's funnier... Yeah. Well, we could... You to could, go elsewhere. Titanic is quotable... So last time we did merch. (laughs) Yeah, Walter merch. My husband said the funniest thing while we were watching this, and he has been watching the majority of movies. Yeah, um, our prep. Not as enthusiastically as us, I think, but that's okay. He kind of joins in halfway through. But my quotely corner for this week is that, and this is quote Marty Kerslake: "Every time Leo falls in love, it's a forty-eight hour disaster." Because we had just done Romeo and Juliet yep. several episodes ago. We've just done Titanic. So in his mind, don't actually fall in love with Leo. Yeah. <laughs> Falling in love with Leo is the worst unless you are a bear and then you can have your way with him. That's pretty much it. Even then, the bear ended up dying and you wore him, did he not? I don't know. I haven't seen The Revenant. Oh, don't bother. <laughs> don't. I it's mean, a 48-hour love disaster. Look up, <laughs> look up the scene with the bear. It's when, like semi-erotic, and I'm not really sure what's going on. I've seen some clips of the bear like really giving it to him from behind, and it's, it's just you had to give him the Oscar after that because the bear literally fucked him with that Oscar. So it it was shocking, and the scene itself is shocking. But long story short. Leo's bad luck. Yeah. <laughs> Put him on your wall. Kiss him before you go to bed. Yeah. But don't actually fall in love. Unlucky in love. Unlucky in love. Just stay away. Just stay away. 
But no, that was that was fun. It, it was, was pretty it, ominous. It's I yeah. feel like when we're talking about the death of fifteen hundred plus people that we really can't get super funny. Yeah. <laughs> well I had those moments and like, should I make a joke here? What a dead fucking fat Irish babies in this movie. <laughs> like, wait, that's a joke and the truth. Yeah. That's not good. <laughs> Yeah, it was a that's a hard one to kind of make light of, but I think it is really important in terms of defining me as a person. Mm-hmm. As much as you want to eye roll and call me basic, um, I think as a film it was a masterpiece. Well, I think first to anyone who does this this basic shit, go fuck your neck. Like really, just find <laughs> that's, something, that's stick really it in your brutal. neck, and just fucking okay, jam stop. it well. until you're done. <laughs> like I I don't care. That shit to me just makes me nuts. Because people can like whatever they want. Like, well, yeah. Who, who the fuck are you to judge to judge anybody? Unless, like, like I really like sex with dogs. The less consenting, the better. Yeah, like, that then you I should will go, judge you. You basic. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, like you, we got we got to sort that out. Put down your pumpkin spice latte and stop fucking. Just that because dog. I want to drink my watered down. Wine with ice cubes and watch Titanic. Yeah, like what doesn't mean the fuck I'm does it matter? basic. Yeah, I actually appreciate it on multiple levels, and I think that it stands as a really great yeah. film. It, it was fun to go back to it. It and was watch it again. Back to Titanic. <laughs> Granddad never saw that one coming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Titanic two, <laughs> the ship is pissed. Oh, <laughs> the man. bitch is back. No, that was that was fun. What that was fun. So. We will be continuing Jack's birthday extravaganza closer to the actual day, which is the 21st. So the 27th, the end of the month, will be our next episode. Jack. Yes? What are we doing for episode seven? We are doing a duo book and movie mm. of Gene yeah. M. All's 1980 Clan of the Cave Bear. <laughs> this is a, mo- a book would later define me as a person, as an academic, and we'll get more into it in our next episode. And Bob now hates me and said there is no more books allowed for a while. And we're going to be taking a break on the book-to-movie shit. <laughs> in this podcast series. Some because Clan of the Cave Bear is a very long and laborious read. Um, well, but Jack's pissed with me because I picked Fear Loathing in Las Vegas. I'm like... Motherfucker, that's like 108 pages. That is a zip of a read, okay? That's a fart in the wind compared to Clan of the Cave Bear. But we will get more. It's, I didn't hate the book. I have a very conflicting new relationship with Clan of the Cave Bear. Well, and I look forward to hearing about that conflicting relationship next episode. It'll be fun. It'll be good. It'll be great. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. So we want to thank you guys very much again for joining us for episode six. You can continue to find us on SoundCloud and iTunes, also on Facebook. Just search 14 Months Apart. Feel free to drop us a message, comment, like, share, all those beautiful, wonderful things. We'd love to talk to you guys. So join us again next week. Episode. Episode, not week. For episode. our, our clanning of the cave bears. We're going prehistoric, bitches. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're just jumping slowly farther back in time. Yeah. Yeah. But until then, remember, a lot can change in 14 months. <laughs>